Hear the word of the Lord. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Maybe. Now we're cooking. Hey guys, good morning. My name's Stephen. I'm the family pastor here at Sojourn. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, a couple of things before we get started is to take a look at your bulletin, flip it over. Uh, we've got some announcements, some things to highlight this morning. Uh, a, we're, uh, we're in a new quarter for our Connect team. So if you are gifted with the, uh, the spiritual gift of hospitality, we'd love to have you on that team, participating and welcoming in people on Sunday mornings. Uh, the other things that are happening are the uh, women's school is starting back up on October 15th at 6.30. And then men's school. We took a page out of um, the women's school book because uh, six thir- or 6 o'clock in the morning on Thursdays uh, just didn't work well for but like three guys. So uh, we're going to switch that around. We're going to do it on Sunday nights now. So if you haven't been able to come to men's school because it's been an odd time for you, you couldn't make it, it's now going to be on Sunday nights at 6 uh, so, or 6.30 beginning on October uh, 16th, or the Sunday, that Sunday. Uh, the other thing is, uh, the very first thing on there is uh, we have an app now. Uh, if you haven't downloaded the app, let me encourage you to download the app. Uh, I am one of those people where I feel like there's a lot of stuff at Sojourn that we've done. We've, over, we've over-promised and under-delivered. And so when I heard we were going to get an app, I was kind of like, okay. Uh, but I have been stunned and pleasantly surprised at how helpful it is. Um, there's just stuff that you can sign up. You can do all your childcare stuff for all these events on there. There's uh, discipleship programs you can participate in. There's uh, like we have all the uh, catechism stuff for our kids on there. Uh, it's really kind of cool. So if you're like one of those people where you're like, ah, what's the point of getting the app? It's kind of silly. Download it. Give it a shot. It's really kind of, it's just really helpful. So um, that's what we've got going on. Uh, And so now, uh, if this is your first time with us or you haven't been with us in a while, uh, we've been going through what we call the five identities. Uh, And these are the five things that God has made us and is making us into. And we see these things throughout the book of Acts. And so far, we've gone over worshiper, disciple, and witness. And so God has made us worshipers, and he's continuing to make us worshipers. He's made us witnesses, and he's continuing to make us witnesses. And today, we're going to talk about family. Like, God has made us family together and he's continuing to make us family. And the idea of family is that it presents to us this idea that we belong to one another because we belong to God. And this is a way that we've been designed. We've been designed to belong to one another. And I can tell you, I feel that, or I felt this very acutely in high school. When I was in high school, uh, I had moved up from Georgia to Virginia, and I had been homeschooled through sixth through eighth grade. And so I was starting ninth grade, and I wanted to go to public school because I wanted to play baseball, 
and I wanted to go to public school where there were other kids. Uh, and so I got my parents, and they were like, yeah, you can go to public school this year. So I decided that's what I was going to do. I got on the baseball team. It was great, uh, but it didn't really feel like I kind of fit it in. And so then I tried out for, did some like theater stuff. That was great, but still kind of like, kind of felt like I was on the outside of that. Didn't really feel like I belonged there. Uh, and so then I did some other stuff. Like I started hanging out with like the honors smart kids, the wallflower kids. And, uh, and again, it was, it was kind of cool, but nobody really felt like they belonged. Uh, and so I kind of did that for about like, two, three years until I got to my senior year. And I kind of felt like I knew a bunch of people. And I was just like, you know what? I'm going to take a chance. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run for senior class treasurer, um, which is like treasurer? Sure, it's because like, I don't know. Uh, but there was a girl who had had that spot since like eighth grade, and there's just no way I was going to win. But I was like, why not? Let's just give it a shot. And so I, I put up all the posters. I did the thing. I gave the speech. You know, they like film you, and they put it in front of the whole thing. Uh, and I gave like a really impassioned speech about being class treasurer, which, you know, when you're high school, you're like, this is going to look great on my college application. So uh, did the speech, and lo and behold, I won. I was stunned, uh, and I can remember like walking down the hallway to our first um, senior class officers meeting thinking like, they like me. They really like me. Uh, I belong, uh, and it was this thing that I, this longing that I had to belong, to feel like I was a part of a group, that these people were my people, uh, and I think that's what God has for us this morning when we see that in this passage in Acts, is that we read this and we go, I long for that. I want that. I want to be a part of a group of people where it's safe, where I feel like I belong, uh, and where I feel like I can be me. And, and what I want to do this morning is I want to walk through this passage and see what happens. Why do they feel like they belong to one another? How do they feel like they're safe? And so we're going to walk through this passage and take a look at all the different ways that this happens. And the three things that I want us to see in this passage are very basic. The first thing is to look up towards God. The second thing is to let down your guard. And the third, the third thing is to press in with forgiveness and humility. So we're going to look up, let down, and press in. So the first thing is that we're going to look up. Uh, read this first passage with me. It says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over all of them, and all the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. So the first thing to notice is that these Christians, these first Christians, the first thing they're doing is they're looking up. They're devoted to knowing more about who God is, who he says they are, and who they are as a group. So they begin to belong to one another because they're starting to understand what God is saying about them because they're devoted to the apostles' teaching. Now, what is the apostles' teaching? Well, John in, or in John 1, 12, he says this, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. So one of the main teachings of the early church and of the apostles is that we are children of God now because of the work that Jesus did for us. We were far apart from him because of our sin, but because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we are now part of God's family. Now, I want you to imagine the confidence that these early Christians had knowing that they were once apart from God, but now they're part of his family. They are his chosen sons and daughters. And the confidence that comes out of thinking, God knows who I am, he knows everything about me, and he liked me enough to choose me to make me a part of his family. 
the idea of this kind of confidence, uh, I think you can see a great example of this in the uh, 1997 Disney classic, Hercules. Uh, in Hercules, you have this really wimpy, scrawny kid, uh, and he, gets, he doesn't know who he is, and so he just knows he's got super strength, and that's about it. And he just feels like he doesn't belong anywhere because he doesn't know what he's about or who, what his identity is. And then in the kind of the beginnings of the movie, his parents tell him, hey, you're not from here. You need to go to this temple and find out who you are. So he goes, and he goes to the temple at Olympus, and he finds out that he's Zeus's son. Now, this doesn't immediately change everything, but it gives him an identity, and now he starts to feel like he knows who he is and that he belongs. And I want you to imagine this is the same kind of thing that's happening with these early Christians is that they're hearing God tell them, I know who you are, you belong to me. You're mine, you are my chosen son, you are my chosen daughter. And the kind of confidence that comes from saying, the God of the universe has chosen me. And so notice what happens after they become aware of God's teaching, that they're part of, part of God's family. It says, all the believers devoted themselves, I'm sorry, it says, a deep sense of awe came over all of them and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. So notice, the, the more time they spend being aware of who God has declared them to be, the more they see God at work. And I think this is a little bit backwards for us because we feel like if I could only see God at work, I would believe who he says I am. But notice, the, the order of operations here is at first they look to God, and then they see him at work. It's only after they look to God to say, I am his chosen son or daughter, that they see all these signs and wonders. And I kind of wonder if that's where we're at. Is how, many of, how many of you guys have had an experience where you're just thinking, that was a crazy coincidence? What if it wasn't coincidence? What if that was God showing you a sign saying, you, you are my chosen daughter. I love you and I've worked this out for your good. Or what if there are simple things like, when your baby is crawling around on the floor and then he smacks his head on the floor really hard and it should have broken his nose and it didn't. It's crazy. That happened last night. And I was thinking, what in the world? And maybe that was a sign to me that God's saying, hey, even though you love like playing around with your son and you accidentally sometimes help him plant his face in the floor, uh, I'm going to protect him. Maybe that's a sign to me. And I think we see these signs or we would see these signs if we first looked like like these first Christians did, to who God says we are. So here's the big takeaway from all of this, is that the sense of awe, the signs and wonders, the sense of belonging, right? None of that took place until at first, these early Christians looked to God and said, who do you say that I am? And then they talked to him. They, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer. And so that we, there we have that, right? The disciples are all believing that they are God's chosen children. But then the question is, is, even if you believe that, how do you translate this idea, okay, that I'm God's chosen child, but how does that translate to us being family? How does that translate to belonging to one another as brothers and sisters? And so I think we have to look at the next part of the passage, which shows us the way that we become brothers and sisters, the way that we show that we belong to one another is we let down our guard. Notice where it says in the next verse, it says, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared money with those in need. So you notice these Christians are letting down their guard. And by that, I mean, they're saying, there's something that protects me and I'm gonna let go of that. The thing that's protecting them is their money. It's their stuff. 
and they're saying, I want to be family. I want to be a part of this family so bad that I'm willing to let my guard down and put my stuff up. I'm not going to protect myself because, A, I know who my dad is. My dad is the guy who owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He's the God of the universe. So I don't have to be afraid of giving away my stuff because God will protect me. Not only will he protect me from giving away all my stuff, but he'll also protect me when I bear my soul with one another. Again, it says that they shared everything. And in Galatians 6, 2, it says, the law of Christ is to bear one another's burdens. And so we get this idea of they're sharing their souls. They're putting themselves out there saying, I'm gonna lead in my weakness. I'm not gonna try to put up this image that's gonna make you happy with me because I know who I am. I'm, a de- I'm declared a son or daughter of, of God. And so that they know who they are, they're able to let their guard down and they start taking risks and they risk their money, they risk their reputations, and all of a sudden you start to see this family start to develop. And the reason for this is, I think an author has a great line on this. She says, true belonging only happens when we present our authentic and perfect selves to the world. I'm gonna read that again. True belonging only happens when we present our authentic and perfect selves to the world. And this is what's happening. You see this in the book of Acts. They're starting to present their true, their authentic selves. And they're taking a huge risk in doing this. They're risking their stuff. They're risking their reputations. And guess what happens is they start to to belong. They start to feel like they're family. But here's kind of the cool part. God rigged the situation. So not only did they start to feel like they belonged, but they start to gain freedom. Because here's the thing. When you start to let your guard down, you're starting to let down the things that protect you. You put things around you, whether you know it or not, and you say, these things protect me. It's my reputation, it's my money, it's my stuff. This is what protects me. And when you start to say, these things no longer protect me, you're putting yourself in a very vulnerable position. And you rely on God to show you, you know what, those things don't protect you. You're free of those things. And here's what I mean. Maybe about two years ago, I I had real bad trouble sleeping and I was waking up and I just was having real bad anxiety. And I noticed that when I would wake up, I would reach for my phone. And instead of flipping to games or the news or something else, I would flip to like my Mint app where you can see all your bank accounts. And I would start looking about how much money I had in savings. And what I noticed was the thing that I was looking to, the thing that I thought would save me when I was the most scared, when I was the most anxious, was my bank account. And then when I started, started realizing that, to realize like that, that my bank account, it's just, it's a bunch of digits. It, it can't protect me. It has no influence on how I drive to work or whether or not my kid gets cancer. And so I started to let my guard down and started to feel the freedom that my money doesn't own me anymore. And when I started waking up, I didn't start reaching for my phone. I started thinking about who's God say that I am. The other thing that I noticed was I started to let my guard down because my wife pointed it out to me one day. She's like, you get around people and you put on this crazy personality where you're just like all fun and whatever. And she's like, and And people see that and it's not real and it's not authentic and it doesn't feel like you. It feels like some version of you that you're trying to make everybody like. And I was like, well, everybody likes that. And she's like, no, they don't. (laughs) Nobody likes that. It feels weird. Stop. And it was only until she said, no, like people want the real version of you that I was able to lay that false self down because I, I actually started to believe like I belonged, people loved me. 
because they loved Jesus and they wanted the real me. They didn't want the false me. They wanted the real me. And that's a, it's a, it sounds like a great idea and it sounds like we're going to get freedom and it sounds like we're going to get belonging. But then kind of reality starts to set in. I mean, you read all this stuff. So let's just read this. This is what happens, right? We read this part in Acts. I'm just going to read this real quick. It says, They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. And we read this and we think, okay, so if I look up to God and he tells me who I am and then I let, mount, let down my guard and I'm vulnerable, like, it'll be like this. I'll have this great life where we all hang out together with each other each day. We go to church together each day. We worship together, and it's fantastic. And the problem is, it doesn't happen that way. Um, So let me tell you the second half of the story that I didn't tell you at the beginning. So when I got elected, I was walking down the hall. I felt like I belonged. Everybody had said, you belong. And I opened the door to the classroom where everybody is, uh, and they're all gathered around a table, and all the chairs are taken and there's nowhere for me to go. And so there's one spot left. It's by the teacher's desk. It's a desk kind of away from everything. So I sit down, kind of like, are they going to invite me over? And they just ignored me. Like, I, was, I, was, I belonged. Everybody said I belonged. I got voted in. I said, like, I belong. And I, it was very clear. You don't belong. And, and I think it, like, feels even worse because that happens at church all the time. Like we say, yes, you belong. You're part of the family of Jesus. Come on in. We love you. We care about you. And then you come in and you're like, where's the stuff from Acts? Like, I don't feel like I belong. I feel like you guys are just keeping me on the outskirts saying I belong. So that way you can say you've got a big community group or a big church. I don't really feel like I belong to you or you belong to me. This just feels like we're not doing what's in Acts. And I think the problem is not that we're not doing what's in Acts, is that we're doing too much of what's in Acts. And by that I mean, Acts has got 28 chapters. This is the end of chapter two. There are 26 more chapters, and it doesn't stay this hunky-dory, everybody loves everybody, everybody's giving each other their stuff. It doesn't stay that way for long. And so what I think we need to do is maybe not, is we need to do the first two things. We definitely, we have to. We have to start by looking up. We have to look to who God defines us to be. And then we have to let down our guard. And we have to be vulnerable. And then we have to do this third thing, which is, maybe the hardest, is we've got to press in with humility and forgiveness. Because here's what happens. In Acts chapter 6, racism starts to settle in. <laughs> and, and they quit sharing their food. Like, they've been sharing everything, and now they won't even share their food with people. Now, imagine, like, if anybody's asking me for food on the sidewalk, like, I'm just, yeah, sure, like, I, I want to help you survive. And they quit sharing food because they've started this racist practice. People who speak different language don't get food. Okay, so, well, that's a problem. But then it, it, it even gets worse than that. There's a guy named John Mark who sets out with these guys, Paul and Barnabas, and they're missionaries together. And then all of a sudden, like, guess what? It gets hard. And even though they're supposed to have each other's back, John Mark's like, nope, don't have your back. I'm out. See you. This is too hard. And he bails. Acts 15, the church nearly splits because of a legalistic argument about saying, what do you have to do? What's the, main, like, what's the minimum requirement of being a Christian? Like, what is it? And they start to argue and backbite, and there's false teaching, and there's all these things that are happening, and the church almost splits because of it. And then at the end of Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas 
their relationship gets destroyed because of nepotism. Barnabas, his, his nephew is John Mark, and he's like, I want to take him on the next missionary journey. And Paul's like, no way, not doing it. That guy bailed on us last time. And so if you see this idea of like, oh, Acts is this wonderful thing where they're all together and they're all just loving each other and it's this beautiful picture, it's like, well, keep reading, it gets worse. And so the idea is like, well, like, Jesus, what do you have to say about this? Like, uh, he wouldn't have left us alone like this. Like, he didn't mean for us to all fall apart. And no, he didn't. And actually, when you start thinking about it, in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus is talking about community life. And it's kind of fascinating. He starts talking about, church discipline. He starts talking about humility. He starts talking about all these different things that we're going to experience in community life. And you know what he ends with? He ends by talking about forgiveness. He's like, you're going to do all these things. You're going to have this great community life and you're going to need forgiveness because if you can't forgive each other, it's going to all fall apart. And actually, if you look at it in the book of Acts, that's what happens is they press in. They don't just bail. They don't say, this is hard. I don't want to do any of this. So I'm done. I'm out. I, the church is falling apart. It's, the, it's supposed to be this nice thing. Like God's people are here, but I'm, I'm done. They don't do that. They press in, right? So in, in chapter six, when the racism settles in, they press in. They don't, they don't bail on it. They don't say, let's not talk about it. Let's pretend it's not there. No, they say, this isn't right. They say, God's people shouldn't differentiate. We should be unified. And so they set up a system with deacons, to help distribute the food. In Acts chapter 15, when the church almost splits over legalism, they start talking to each other, like, what's your experience? How have you seen God move? And Peter starts talking about the ways that he's seen God move among the Gentiles, and they say, you know what? Maybe we don't have to follow all these specific rules anymore. And so then they have these conversations. They're like, well, hey, what do we say about these three big ideas? And maybe this is what we get together around. And so they graciously unify the church around those things. And here's the craziest one to me. This is the craziest one, is Paul who broke his relationship with Barnabas because of John Mark, at the end of 2 Timothy, he's writing to Timothy saying, hey, bring me all this stuff. And guess who he asks for Timothy to bring? John Mark, the guy who bailed on him. And he's saying, yeah, bring that guy. And I don't know how that happened, but I'm telling you what's happening is there's this pressing in. They're, they're saying these relationships, this family that we had in Acts 2 is worth fighting for. It's so hard, but it is worth fighting for. And so there's one pastor and he puts it like this. He says, forgiveness is the name of love practiced among people who love poorly. The hard truth is that all of us love poorly. We need to forgive and be forgiven every day, every hour, unceasingly. That is the great work of love among the fellowship of the weak. That is the human family. If we want to have this family, if we want to be unified, if, if this beautiful thing is worth fighting for, we're going to have to fight for forgiveness. Now, a major note on this is there has been a lot of stuff going on around the church lately that says, okay, forgiveness, yes, is fantastic, and we also forget. We just, we forgive and forget. Let's pretend like nothing ever happened. And what's crazy is that's not the kind of forgiveness you see in the Bible. In the Bible, at the end of time, we're gonna worship the worthy lamb who was slain for our sin. We're not gonna have like amnesia and be like, what happened? We're gonna remember exactly what we did and know that God loved us even through that. And so in the way when people say, no, 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 we don't deal with consequences. If you really forgive somebody, they don't have to deal with the consequences. That is not true. 
We don't not report things to the police because we've been forgiven. That is absolutely not true. Sometimes forgiving somebody actually means you help them face the consequences. Helping somebody not face the consequences, that's called enabling. And so forgiveness, it's got to be something we fight for, but it also doesn't mean we just forget and pretend like things don't happen. Now, here's the other really hard part about forgiveness, especially when there's been some deep, deep hurt, is you've got to have a ton of strength. You've got to have a lot of endurance. Uh, And this is the really hard part because you get into the church, you start fighting for forgiveness, you start feeling like, all right, we're starting to develop family, and then you realize, you know, this happened with me, it's like, I'm, you know, saw, saw, saw someone who's doing something that was going to like just destroy their life. And I was like, this is not good for you. I need to talk to you about it. And so I start talking to him about it and then do the whole, well, why are you judging me? Why, why are you talking to me about it like that? And I was like, no, it's all right. And they just blew up. Right. And so then they came back and it was like, you know what? You're right. I, I need to like be humble about this. And thanks for, for bringing it up. And I was like, yeah, sure. And, and then I was like, that's great. And then Something else happened, brought something else up, and then they blew up again. And I'm just like, I don't want to keep doing this. I really don't, like, this is like the kind of relational, this stuff is just a mess, and I I would rather not. I'd rather just quit if this is what it means. And the thing is, is I don't have the strength. I do not have the strength to continue forgiving somebody again and again. And I mean, Jesus said seven times, 77 times, and I'm like, I've got two in me. And that's also part of the good news is, yeah, you don't have the strength. You absolutely do not have what it takes to make this family. You would need God himself living inside your skin. And guess what? Part of the gospel is that God comes and lives inside your skin. He joins himself with you. He makes you one in Christ so that he's living in your heart. Not because you've earned it, not because you've done anything awesome, but because he's loved you enough to declare you, you're his son, you're his daughter, and he came to rescue you. And by his rescue, he's made you a part of his kingdom and he's put himself inside of you to give you the strength to forgive when it feels impossible. To give you the strength to say, I have the absolute right to be angry and bitter with you. And I choose not to. And that is so difficult because we have to do it again and again and again and again. And what's so just crazy about this is we talk about this every week. We talk about this kind of family that we have. When Jesus goes to the cross, when we talk about communion, we always say on the night that he was betrayed, and think about this, on the night that his best friends sold him out, what he's doing right there is he's going to make forgiveness for them possible. And it's not because they've earned it, not because they've done anything awesome, it's because he's loved them. And so I hope that as you're thinking about this, as you come forward to take communion this week, you realize we have all betrayed Jesus. And what he did is he made our forgiveness possible by what he did on the cross and by his resurrection. And so as you come forward this morning thinking about communion, I, I I invite you to think about those three things. First off, I invite you to think about who has God declared you to be? When you think about what God is saying, like if if God could talk to you right now and say, this is who I say you are, what do you think he says? Because anything other than you are my dearly loved son, you are my dearly loved daughter, anything other than that is a lie. 
So as you come forward, I want you to think about what is God saying about you this morning? The other thing is, is where is God inviting you to, to freedom? Where is he inviting you to be vulnerable, to let down your guard, to say, you know what, I'm going to put the real me forward. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let go of my stuff. None of this stuff can protect me anymore. The only thing that can really protect me is the God of the universe, and he says that he will. And the third thing I invite you to think about is who do you need to forgive? Who, who has that relationship with you where you're just like, nope, done. I don't, nah, I'm done, I'm done. Sometimes you need that space. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you just need to give it some air and let it go. But sometimes, sometimes you've got to press in. And it takes a ton of humility. It takes a lot of humility to be able to say, maybe I'm part of the problem. Maybe, maybe I screwed up. But it also takes a ton of forgiveness and strength that we don't have. And again, the good news in all of this is that Jesus says, you don't have it, but I do, and I'm going to give it to you. And so that's what I invite you to think about as you come forward and take communion this week. The other thing is if you're not a Christian, uh, we invite you to stay in your seat. As I said earlier, uh, Jesus invites you to become part of the family. The invitation earlier in, in John 1 verse 12 is anyone who believes and calls on his name has the right to become a child of God. You've been given that right simply by believing. And so I want you to consider, do you want to be part of the family? Do you want to be a part? It's going to be messed up and it's going to be hard, but it's totally worth it. So if you're not a Christian this morning, I invite you to consider, do you want to be a part of the family? Uh, and if you do, you can come down, you can talk to somebody up front. We'll have pastors down here after the service. Um, but I invite you to stay in your seat during communion. But every week we do communion, we talk about uh, what Jesus said. And he said that he took a loaf on the night that he was betrayed. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he took a cup. And he says, this cup represents the shedding of my blood, the new covenant. Whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you do so proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. And so this morning, that's what we're going to do. We're going to come forward. We're going to proclaim the Lord's death uh, because we've been given the hope that he's alive. And because he's alive, he's living in, in those who believe in him. And he gives us the strength to believe that we're his sons and daughters, to let ourselves be vulnerable and to have the humility to forgive one another. So as you come forward, we're going to have stations, two here, two in the back, one over here. This one will be gluten-free. Uh, we do communion here by ripping off a piece of the bread, dipping it in the wine or the juice, whatever your conscience permits. Let's pray.